You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Liberia sustains a commerce-clogging DDoS attack, and Mirai is behind it. Linux Moose is on the loose. Hospitals in the UK continue to recover from ransomware attacks. Anonymous doesn't like ISIS, but it also doesn't like the governments who are fighting the caliphate. Exaspy malware targets business leaders' Android phones. A new joint venture is poised to become a mid-major in the cybersecurity sector. And an update on election hacking. It's more of the same with more coming. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire Summary and Week in Review for Friday, November 4th, 2016. Liberia is sustaining a massive nationwide distributed denial-of-service attack, and e-commerce in the country is described as having ground to a halt. The Mirai Internet of Things botnet, which some in the security industry are calling botnet number 14, is again implicated. Attribution remains unclear, although it's worth recalling that the U.S. intelligence community attributed Dyn's takedown by Mirai to some unspecified non-state actor. Whoever's behind the attack, some fear that it and other recent Mirai activity constitutes a test and rehearsal of a cyber warfare operation. Thomas Poor, Plixer's director of IT and services, told the CyberWire that testing weapons historically has two main purposes. It can serve as a scare tactic to dissuade a potential enemy, and it can also obviously be undertaken to reveal and help correct design flaws in a weapon or its operational concept. He thinks the Liberian attack was designed to prove a concept and not to frighten. Quote, Issuing large-scale volumetric attacks for short durations against Liberia could indicate that it is weapon testing. End quote. The attacks were conducted in brief bursts and affected a smaller country whose troubles populations in larger, more powerful nations might be expected to overlook. Quote, An attack of that size could definitely take a small country down, and perhaps Liberia is just the testing ground for something larger. End quote. Poor went on to say that if he's right, the U.S. might expect to see some major sustained Internet outages before the end of 2016. IoT botnets can be used for more than DDoS. ESET and GoSecure describe Linux Moose, malware that herds IoT bots for social media fraud, specifically on Instagram. And in industrial Internet of Things news, Booz Allen Hamilton has a new research report on 2015's hack of the power grid in western Ukraine. Of particular interest is the attacker's patience. The blackouts were two years in preparation, and the campaign was part of an extensive multi-pronged effort. Booz Allen researchers conclude that the campaign involved at least 11 distinct attacks against Ukrainian mining, television, railways, electrical power distribution, and governmental archives. The investigators also find more circumstantial evidence to support the consensus that Russian threat actors were directly involved. 
In the UK, the Lincolnshire and Gould Trust, a national health service hospital system, continues to recover from a cyber attack that forced it to cut back on planned operations and divert major trauma cases to neighboring facilities. It appears the attack involved ransomware, which has proved particularly damaging to healthcare IT infrastructure this year. Plixer's Thomas Poor also contacted the CyberWire about this incident and offered an account of why the healthcare sector seems to see so much ransomware. The real-time assistance healthcare providers give and the obvious time sensitivity of their services go a long way to explaining why cyber criminals would find ransomware particularly attractive to use in attacks on hospitals. It's harder for them to ride out an attack when patient health and safety are on the line. Turning to hacktivism, Anonymous remains predictably double-minded about ISIS. On the one hand, the anarchist collective doesn't like violent jihad. On the other, it also doesn't want to get co-opted by the man. Anonymous hacktivists have sought, with unknown success, to disrupt ISIS presence on social media especially, but not all the collective's operators think the attempt a good thing. Motherboard held a Skype interview with Discordian, regarded as a longtime member of the collective, complete with a Guy Fox mask, who's decidedly on the stick-it-to-the-man side of the question. Discordian calls the internal division a civil war. He doesn't like ISIS, he says, but he also doesn't think ISIS can be fought through censorship, and he thinks anonymous cooperation with security agencies is opening the group up to infiltration. SkyCure reports on Exaspi, Android malware used in highly targeted attacks against business executives. Exaspi masquerades as a Google Play app, and it has some unpleasant capabilities. It collects chats and messages sent and received via SMS, MMS, and popular email and IM apps, including Gmail, Facebook Messenger, Skype, and WhatsApp. It records both audio and telephone calls. It can collect pictures and take screenshots. It scoops contacts, browser histories, and calendar entries. And finally, it exfiltrates all this stuff to a remote server controlled by the hoods who run it. This week has seen some significant industry news. CenturyLink, which is itself in the process of buying Level 3, has just announced that it's selling its data centers and co-location business to a joint venture led by BC Partners and Medina Capital. That new security company, it hasn't yet got a name, but it will immediately become at least a mid-major player in the sector, has also acquired four complementary cybersecurity shops, Cryptzone, Catbird, Easy Solutions, and Brainspace. We'll watch developments with interest. Finally, the U.S. elections approach, with much overheated trepidation about vote hacking. At this point, such fears will probably serve as inspiration to incite whatever enthusiasts, activists, bullies, trolls, intelligence services, and the whole tribe FBI Director Comey tends to characterize as screwed-up individuals to do their level-skid best to be a nuisance. If Fancy Bear is as interested in messing with the election as Fancy Bear appears to be, well, Fancy Bear can probably just take the week off and kick back. More WikiLeaks dumps are expected, but don't expect the FBI to wrap up renewed investigations into State Department emails and pay-for-play foundation allegations before Tuesday. It will take time to sift through those half-million-plus homebrew server emails on Mr. Wiener's laptop. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. 
In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Joining me once again is Malek Ben-Salem. She's from Accenture Technology Labs. Um, Malek, uh, you all made some news recently with some announcements about uh, redactable blockchain. Fill us in on what's going on there. Sure. As you know, blockchain is a technology that supports Bitcoin, which is a permissionless or open cryptocurrency. And immutability is a pre- the basis for trust in that system. However, there are many issues with the misuse of the immutability of the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, such as now it contains inappropriate and illegal material, including links to pornography. In real-world uses of the blockchain, there may be needs for making a change. And while in in most cases the immutability uh, characteristic of the blockchain is really important, there may be other cases where you may need to make changes, particularly when we're talking about permissioned or private blockchains. Uh, So that's what Accenture has worked on in collaboration uh, with uh, Stevens Institute. And we've announced uh, what we called the redactable blockchain, which creates a mechanism for doing just that, making a change uh, to the blockchain in specific cases. How does this not bump up against one of the sort of core foundations of how blockchain works? So if we're talking about the core foundation, meaning that immutability, yeah. then obviously it does violate that because this is creating a way to change the blockchain, right? It, to edit the blockchain. Right. Um, however, it's very controlled. Basically, what, what happens is the, the blocks of data in a blockchain are linked uh, back to the previous blocks by a hash, And a hash is the output of an algorithm that turns data into a fingerprint of the data, if you will. If the data changes in any way, the hash would change in in an unpredictable way. Now, these hashes are organized into something that's called a Merkle tree or a hash tree. And the hash of the transactions are organized into pairs of twos linked together in a chain. Then uh, they are hashed again. 
So the hash at the very top of the tree is called the Merkel root. And that Merkel root is placed into a block's header along with the hash of the previous block and a random number called a nonce. This creates all of the information that keeps the blocks of data cryptographically linked in a chain. To enable the blockchain redaction capability, a padlock is added uh, in the links between the blocks with a key using a special hash function, what we call a chameleon hash. And if you have the key, you can unlock the link between the block to be edited and its successor block without breaking the hash chain. With a capability, uh, you can change uh, the blocks at the transaction level because you can change the contents of the block and you can consolidate and edit all of these changes and, and delete any information that you may want to delete and then recreate the link with this chameleon hash and close the lock again. Now again, this capability uh, should be only given to a, a governing body of that private blockchain and is to be used in special cases where you know some private data has to be redacted or some illegal information that is not supposed to go on the blockchain like you know pornography or you know things like that um that's when this uh, approach is to be used all right interesting stuff as always Malik ben salem thanks for joining us My guest today is Bill O'Hearn. He's a senior vice president and chief security officer for AT&T, the largest telecommunications company in the world. AT&T just wrapped up their 18th annual cybersecurity conference in New York City, and after the show we caught up with Mr. O'Hearn for his take on the industry and the part big players like AT&T have to play. You know, it strikes me, you know, obviously AT&T is one of the largest uh, communications companies in the world, uh, but at the same time, you, you have a challenge where you need to be nimble. Yeah, exactly. And software-defined net networking helps us get there, right? If you think about the evolution of capability here, uh, you know, traditionally you have software and hardware uh, combined into appliances, and typically from a security perspective, you're putting together a chain of those appliances, and every time there's a new threat, you're, you're kind of forced to think about buying a new box or a new capability. And, you know, what's really unique about uh, security function virtualization is that as you uh, decouple that hardware and software, and then you real-time enable the software functionality in the network, um, it becomes a really uh, cost advantage and speed advantage for you to, to employ and deploy uh, new security functionality. But I think the real benefits come from when you think about strong authentication and what that means and what we need to do in the network and leverage capabilities like our mobile key functionality. Um, when you think about security function virtualization and all of the orchestration that needs to occur to tie and integrate those platforms together. And then I think the biggie is, you know, as we get into this and we get into um, micro-segmentation, it drives a lot of data. And getting real-time threat analytics in a way that it creates intelligence or actionable intelligence that the network can then provision controls 
I think that's really key to it. And those those are all areas that, you know, we're doing a lot of innovation around and trying to push that into the next generation networking. And obviously, in the news, we've seen uh, this Mirai botnet uh, attacking Krebs on security, um, hitting Dyne. Um, you know, affecting uh, much of the internet in North America and Europe. Um, as as a large scale provider like AT and T, uh, how do you prepare yourselves to defend against those types of attacks? Yeah, Dave, this is a growing issue, and I think there's several things that you know we need to think about. This first off, the problem exists primarily because uh, OEMs are are not really security conscious, and neither is the user base. So I think the first thing we've got to do is, is think about what types of standards need to be in place for products that are connected to the Internet. And by standards, I don't mean regulation. Uh, what I'm really talking about is, you know, something similar to, like, Underwriters Laboratory. And I think collectively as a, you know, as a community, we need to think about that and ensure that these OEMs have some level of standard that that they're implementing at the security level. When I, I think about the scale of AT and T and the fact that that you know your company has uh, so many devices, so many um, products at, at really every level of uh, of technology, from you know consumers uh, connecting to the network on their iPhones to to large you know enterprise concerns, um, does that scale give you certain advantages to to offer sort of a I don't know a holistic view, a, a, a high level view of of security at, at every level? Well, I think it does, and you know, you think about uh, you know all the things that you mentioned, whether it's wireless, our wireless base, or our large enterprise base, right? There, there's nobody in the world that has the visibility that we have into running big global networks. Uh, so, you know, we play at everything from you know retail operations to consumer operations to business and government, um, you know, across the board. So what's really important for us in our threat analytic platform is to be able to digest all of that data, look at the trends, look at the threat landscape, and to the extent that we can really uh, capture that information, understand what's going on, and think about the protections that we're going to put in place. It's really on a scale and scope that, that's unparalleled, unparalleled anywhere in the world. and. You know, we ingest that and, and process that through our platforms to, in a way that we can then take action to help protect our services. As we uh, head head towards 2017, what do you see as being the biggest challenges facing the cybersecurity industry? So I think there are a couple. Um, I think uh, we're going to see um, a lot of consolidation. I think customers are at a point where they're, they can't sustain buying a new service or product for every new threat that comes out. Uh, so I think what that leads us down the path uh, more so of is creating this virtualized ecosystem of capability where by utilizing APIs and integration and software-defined networking, we can just embed security in the core connectivity services and customers don't have to go out and work with, you know, 40 or 50 different vendors and manage a whole bunch of different boxes. I think the real challenge here is let's integrate that capability, let's bring the community together, take the best of breed, and 
pushed that capability right into the network. So customers get to a point where security becomes effortless. It's in there, it's embedded, the capabilities there, it's real time and it's learning and it's provisioning security capabilities you know, on the fly. That's Bill O'Hearn, Senior Vice President and Chief Security Officer at AT&T. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K Cyberwire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now.